I'm George Norrie. Welcome to Coast to Coast AM. Next hour, Secret Societies, How They Control the Course of History with Alan Watt. Get ready for this. That one is going to be one heck of a show tonight. In a moment, you will get to hear from Alan Watt, who has spent many years investigating these groups. What do they mean? What do they do? Alan Watt has always questioned standard versions of history, delved into ancient civilizations and the occult groups which managed them. Alan has come forward to share his knowledge, beginning with the Sweet Liberty radio program on International Shortwave. Now, this shortwave broadcast ended late in 2005. He continues on the First Amendment Internet radio every Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, having a deep understanding of mass mind control being used on the general public. His original intention was to establish contact with various individuals following the broadcast by a one-on-one -on -one telephone conversation containing a technique to bring the person up into awareness. Many hundreds of hours have been spent in this manner teaching people in various countries, some of whom have used the information and published much of it with rather flamboyant spins. First-time guest on Coast to Coast AM, Alan Watt. Hi, Alan. How are you? I'm fine, and it's a pleasure to be on. Good. Likewise. Tell me a little bit about this. I, I guess we can't call it an experiment, but uh, tell me how this worked, this one-on-one -on -one telephone conversation technique. Well, I realized um, by listening to many radio shows that people were stuck in different levels of understanding of awareness into what was happening in their own lives and, and, and the life around them and, and were totally oblivious really of the major plans underfoot to completely alter their way of living. And in fact, a structure was being put into place to bring out an entirely new way of living. That really is the agenda. And I thought I should get involved and, and I looked around at all the airwaves and I, I tuned into shortwave, which has a good coverage. Sometimes it's international. And got in touch with uh, Jackie Petru on the Sweet Liberty broadcast and eventually came on as a guest initially to fill in uh, on ancient history, the secret societies, which are recorded in history. It's not so much a conspiracy when you, when you realize they're, they're actually authentically recorded. And the odd thing is their agenda from the most ancient times right up to the present has never altered. We've lived through part of it ourselves. We're living through the final part of the end of this phase before the beginning of the next. It's, Alan, it's a never-ending story. I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right. It has not altered over all these hundreds, if not thousands of years. Uh, they have uh, directed their intent and I guess they've just had it carried on by their offspring. How did it work? How did it carry through? We can find, really, ancient Egypt kept such a massive documentation on the techniques of controlling the people. Priesthoods actually specialized in creation of religions for the lower classes, you might say. And the pharaoh, of course, is recorded, he was taught these techniques from, from a child. And the priests in those days were, were truly specialists in different areas. Even going as far back as Sumer, we can see that the priests there not only controlled different areas of religion and types of religion, one for the elite and a separate one for the public, and they also controlled all the legalities. There were lawyers, lawyer priests, 
who dealt with real estate and all finances, uh, imports and exports from the country, with trade going all the way to India, 5000 BC. So, so these priests were very specialized. And the, the amazing thing is to find that pretty well everything that we have today in this system of commerce, and that's the key to it, is the term civilization. That's the beginning of this particular system, which is ancient, a commercial type system of control using money in different forms. In the beginning, they, they actually wrote about their agenda and they camouflaged it under exoteric guises of religion. When you understand the esoteric meanings of religion, you understand the goal, and you realize that they've almost accomplished it. Alan, this series of protests in support of illegal immigrants in the United States that has been going on now for a couple of weeks yes. seems to be so organized, it's absolutely stunning. Uh, one would never expect this. Um, do you believe that this could be the work of the secret societies, the Illuminati, call them what, what they may be? Uh, there's no doubt. Uh, there's no doubt at all. The Illuminati under Weishaupt, and he was only one branch that popped its head up in time. They'd always been around. You can find them in the Oxford Dictionary from the 12th centuries onward. But Adam Weishaupt's particular group uh, wanted to create a citizen of the world. That's the first time that term was used. Mr. Rockefeller, who's one of the big players in this movement, calls himself a citizen of the world and gives uh, um, uh, titles to high members of his society. I actually have videotape of him awarding these uh, citizenship of the world awards to, to certain people. So, so, yeah, Adam Weishaupt certainly had a big part to play in this, but he was not the originator of the plan. What, what's their goal then, with, let's say, against supporting these protests? Is it to topple the United States? Is it to split it up? Is it to create a one-world government? I mean, what are they trying to do? What do they want? They want, um, Jack Zatali wrote about this, and there's a very good book that he wrote. It's called uh, Millennium, published in 1990, and it's subtitled uh, Winners and Losers in the Coming New World Order. Now, Jack Zatali was the, was the, uh, he was the Kissinger of Europe. He spearheaded the uni unification of Europe from France. And he advised the various presidents of France. And then he went to work at the United Nations. And in that book, he gives a scenario of America with the borders coming down towards the end of the millennium into the new. That's when it was scheduled to happen, the move, 2001. And he said that initially the people will be upset because vast hordes of people will come from Latin America mm -hmm. and come in through the south causing mayhem, just like the Huns attacking Rome. But eventually America would end up being, the southern America would be a, end up being a Spanish-speaking people. And he said when America finishes its work, which is to police the world, bring democracy to the Middle East, then its commerce would collapse through debt. And the next boat people would leave America looking for work abroad. That's amazing. And it all seems to be happening. Oh, it's happening right on cue. One thing I found about these fellows, the big players like Kissinger and so on and Jack Zatali, they come from the high-level meetings with the Bilderbergers, etc. And whenever they write something about a plan or agenda, uh, they never alter it. They follow it through. 
You know, I, Alan, I'm, I'm in support of legal immigration, controlled immigration. When we have a certain quota, we allow them into the country, let them prosper, let them have the American way. Well, my, my opposition is with the illegal immigration. I mean, you can't have a country where people just enter it in droves illegally. It just, you just can't do that. And people don't seem to understand it. Those who support legal immigration think that there are no walls, that you can just come and go as you please. Was this by design in that uh, past administra administrations? Nobody has done anything from this current administration on back to stop these illegal immigrants. I mean, were they part of the plan? Absolutely, they're part of the plan. Under the free trade negotiations, which were carried on in the late 1980s into the early 90s, prior to the NAFTA, they discussed the, the eventual taking down of the borders between Canada, the U.S., uh, and Mexico. And then the go-ahead at that time, it was decided, would begin and be signed into law in 2005. Now, in 2005, on the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation in Canada, when, when Mr. Bush, Mr. Martin, and Fox met at Waco, Texas, they did sign Fortress America. And uh, Tom Clark from CTV asked them, is this the beginning of a European Union type deal? And uh, with when the borders come down, and Mr. Martin said, it's not quite the, the, the big bang. They have five more meetings to go before it's completed. In other words, it is the, the, the same agenda as the European Union, uh, exactly. Yeah. So letting the millions of illegal immigrants into the United States was done on purpose, basically. Yes, it was, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this was written about in the 1840s by Karl Marx. Karl, Karl Marx? Marx? Wrote it in, yeah, Karl Marx wrote it in Das Kapital. And in there he said, the world will comprise of three trading blocks, a united Europe, a united Americas, and a Pacific Rim conglomerate under a supreme world government. And that nationalism or insolvency would cease to exist and each each block would have a provincial government instead of a national one. And that was discussed in the free trade negotiations in the 1980s, where it was decided that actually toyed with the idea of creating Montreal to be the, the new capital of the Americas. Of the Americas. Am I naive, Alan, or... You know, in that when I I think about the patriotism and I think every country should be autonomous and, you know, the the way of the past is the way it should be. Am I naive? I mean, should I just step aside and let progress take hold, let this happen the way it's going to happen and let these societies, let the Illuminati push their plan through? Uh, is it a good thing for everybody or or is it not? It's not, especially when you realize that the, the, the more of the agenda, the world that they're bringing into being is, uh, I mean, you've heard of family planning. Uh, this is world planning on the same type of scale. They want to cut the, back the population massively and run the world in a scientific dictatorship, as Aldo Huxley called it, where people will be born only if there's a function for them to serve the system and that if there's too many people, they must be called back. Ultimately, under Agenda 21 that came out of the United Nations, they say that they want to be the arbiters of who of distributing the world's food to, to different countries. And those countries who go over the limit of population will be denied extra food. 
which will encourage them to to kill back or cull back the population. Oh my God! You know, we, 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 you're, you're absolutely right. The word "cull" is what so many farmers use in the farm industry yeah. when they need to change their flock, and that's, that's right. the way they look at us as flock. They, they, they do. They? They, they honestly do. It's it's bone chilling when you read their own books, the Brzezinski books, the Kissinger books, even the one that Prince Philip brought out. And he, of course, is the head of the Audubon Wildlife Society, another front group for this agenda. And he, in his book called If I Were an Animal, he said, I'd like to come back as a virus, and a killer virus, and destroy yeah. the population of the humans. You know, you hear things like that, and you think, oh, come on, these are urban legends. Uh -huh. This guy really didn't say this. But then you hear it enough, Alan, and then you hear people like you, who I think are just tremendously brilliant in your field. Uh, there's got to be a basis for it. I believe the guy said that. It's in his book. Uh, you can get his book, and it's right there. Uh, pull it out. And you're right about Kissinger, too. He would love to see the world's population reduced. Mm -hmm. Who died and made him God? Yeah, well, that's just it. These people in their own inner religion believe that they are gods. And that's one of the, 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 the amazing things from the ancient times to modern in the high esoteric religion, they truly believe they have attained godhood. When you look at the tremendous work of monarchies and the priesthoods behind them to match up specific wives and husbands for them down through the ages, that is very important for them, not just the, the royalty, but the other nobility too. Tremendous work in matching them up. And it's all based on their, their ancient religion, of course. It's for the reasons. You know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses in life, Alan. One of the things that I can do well, I mean, I'm not very good at electrical things and stuff like that. I'd probably blow myself up. But one of the things that I do well is I do have a strong intuitive sense about things. And, I, and, and part of that intuitiveness is telling me that what we're talking about tonight is rapidly approaching, we're in it, but it's been, it is moving along at a tremendous speed. What I don't know is why. Why has it jump-started so quickly? What has kicked this thing into high gear? It's almost as if these people, these power brokers, are desperate to get this done very, very soon, and I don't understand why. Well, I do know that they said many, many years ago that 2001 is the kickoff time. And, of course, we, we can find that uh, confirmed in the little uh, clique at the top of the, the Bush administration and behind the Bush administration, which put forth the, the policy for a new American century. Yes. And they published their findings back in 92 and republished them in 98. And in there, they said they would have to attack the Middle East, beginning with Afghanistan, which they did, followed by Iraq, followed by Iran, then Syria. Now, in 1998, we find Zygmunt Brzezinski brought out his book called The Grand Chessboard, and being a member of the same group, he reiterated those same targets in the same order, and he said, we, we shall need something on a Pearl Harbor event, on the scale of that event, to motivate the American people behind us. So here they have all this massive plan waiting to go, the countries to invade, and it's almost like uh, hoping you'd win the lotto ticket in, in 2001. <laughs> and, yeah. and sure enough, the very, the very lotto ticket comes up, uh, an attack on the scale of Pearl Harbor occurs, and, and it motivates the American people behind them. That's planning. That's very good planning. To a point. But now, 
most of the Americans are not behind him, um, yeah. as you can tell by polls and attitudes. Yeah. And I, t I tend to look at attitudes more than polls, Alan. All you have to do is talk to people, as I do every night, and you can determine that there's something amiss here. Yeah. The, the plan may be working for them, but it's not working for capturing the masses. What's yeah, going yeah. to happen when these two butt heads? Well, the day after 9-11 occurred, and 9-11, of course, is a high esoteric number. Um, as you, right. you might know, it's also chapter 9, verse 11 of Revelations, which is just a plan. It's a business plan. And uh, that's where the, 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 the pit the point. Is, is released from the pit, you see, to start the war. But what they're doing now is the spring is like crazy from the air. It's being stepped up now. And the day after 9-11, it was Rumsfeld was on television asking how he coped with another major disaster on a larger scale on another city. And he said, we have, uh, we have lots of aerosolized Prozac and Valium, which can be sprayed from aircraft over any large area to subdue the people and prevent panic. And I thought, my God, you know, uh, they're actually doing it. Only they're doing it all over the country. So we're being drugged into a form of uh, couldn't care less. Most people couldn't care less what's happening. Well, people have been seeing chemtrails for years now. Yes, yep. They've been really dosing us all. They're stepping it up. Uh, there's new types involved now, too. And so partly we're being drugged as we go through this massive change that's coming. We're seeing things happen that never happened even during the Cold War uh, with ID cards for everyone. Uh, etc. But that really is a cover for, for the borderless world. They want to know who's going where, and these ID cards are trackable by satellite. Our guest tonight is Alan Watt. Alan's website, of course, is cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Alan, what about Russia, China? Where do they stand in all this? They seem to be adversaries to what would be a globalist plan to do this. Well, actually, the ones who set up uh, uh, Russia... Soviet system and uh, the ex-Soviet system and China were the same big boys in, in uh, the West and were from the beginning. Uh, this is a long-term plan. Bertrand Russell, Lord Bertrand Russell, was set out. From, uh, he was actually chartered to go out to, to China in the early 1900s and prepare the way for communism. This man is related to the British royalty, and yet he describes this in his own memoirs, his own books. Or do we have to really be concerned, then, about a possible war with China or Russia, or is that all rhetoric? It's all rhetoric. You see, the, the idea of control is always to have an enemy so that your government can take extreme measures and tax you more at home, keep you uh, Spend more scared. Money. Yes, keep you scared, because when you're scared, you ask fewer questions, and, and the government can go much further. I think uh, Professor Carl Quigley, who really was a big player in a lot of things, said in his own book, Tragedy and Hope, that war is very helpful for the agenda and for the establishment because you can do more on a social change in five years of war than 50 years of peace. Well, you know, and I always asked myself, Alan, I said, why would China go to war with the United States? We're their biggest customer. And I know just in the world of business, you never do anything to your biggest customer. You keep them happy. You keep them happy. And, and also... If you go back into the books of the Council on Foreign Relations, and I have their books going back to the 1930s, 
and the one in 1937 held in Melbourne, Australia. That's also the Royal Institute of International Affairs. That's the British uh, branch. The American branch is the CFR. They discussed uh, making China after after the coming war, World War II, uh, the sole manufacturer for the for the planet. And they said that America would lead the push to, to democratize the rest of the world, meaning the Middle East. And once this job was done, they would sink be over because of the burden of the cost. And then China would take over as the policeman of the world. And now that's the, the official books of the Council on Foreign Relations. Now, the, the, the people who are running our government today, Alan... I think maybe it's what we've always suspected and that merely is there's always been this higher shadow government aren't they concerned about the United States losing its stature in the world or do they care because they've got their billions they've got their 14 houses they don't care it's all all of that plus uh, these people themselves once they're initiated into the higher orders of, of their societies are internationalists they become internationalists, and their brother ah. is their fellow elitist, no matter which country he lives in. They don't even think of it then. They don't think of them uh, themselves as Americans or that, that, those from beauty, England. That's the beauty of, of how they I get away see. with it, yeah. Okay, they, yeah, you're right then. They think of themselves as internationalists. Yep. They become part of the Federation. If, if one day we venture into space to the point where we find extraterrestrial life, and like the, and like Star Trek, it becomes a federation. That's what they believe they're from. They're not just from planet Earth anymore. They're part of this galactic group. That's right. Yeah, yeah. In their higher orders, they actually refer to themselves as masters of the universe, which I think is a bit premature. You write and talk about what you call mass mind control, specifically how it started in ancient times. Elaborate on that for us. In ancient times. Uh, they understood humanity much better than Freud ever did. They'd studied uh, humanity for thousands of years. Uh, we know that Sumer even wasn't the first civilization. It was, uh, in fact, everything that Sumer did was taken from previous civilizations. We know that uh, Plato, when he talked, uh, he talked about his uh, predecessor, one of his ancestors, who, Solon, who went to Egypt and found out about Atlantis. The Egyptian priest said, well, you Greeks don't even know how old you are and how many ancient civilizations have risen to great heights and fallen and disappeared. So man is very, very old. And these techniques of studying human nature, uh, tribalism especially, have been well understood and used against people down through the ages for war purposes. Do you think man at one point, Alan, was sophisticated enough where he had nuclear weapons, and I'm talking about thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of years ago. It, well, what's interesting is to do with the, the legends of uh, the Hinduism, because they claim that, that they set times down as periods or ages, they call them, just for understandings, conception, and, and they said that they had recorded at least five definite previous ages of man where he'd started off at the beginning and risen to heights and end up with massive warfare. And in the warfare described between these ages, it was, it was between the elite who then called themselves gods, using highly adv advanced sciences and even flying machines. And they were zapping each other with different colored rays, which could uh, burn you, for instance, if you had any iron on you at all. 
uh, much like microwave energy. So this stuff is described in, in the, 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 these ancient histories. Uh, if we go to the Druidic histories, they were recorded by Tacitus, the historian for Nero, and he claims that the Druids said that there had been pro three previous ages that they'd recorded where their own elite had survived deep inside mountains while the, the earth was, uh, had fire passed through it, followed by water, a deluge. We can find the same legends in ancient Greece where they lived in Mount Parnassus, that's where the wealthy elite went for the same thing, it was fire followed by water. And it's interesting to see today with the harp technology being used uh, and knowing that Nikola Tesla stopped using that technology because he claimed they could superheat the atmosphere to such an extent it would explode, it would ignite and cause a, a, a fire around the world which would melt the, the caps causing flooding and, and then that would raise into the sky and cause clouds and you'd have rain and, and, and flooding, fire and water. Same thing again. So it's very possible this has been done before. Absolutely. I'm going to talk about some uh, groups and you tell me um, what you think of them in terms of their relationship to the higher order. Knights Templar. Yeah, the Knights Templar definitely were a priestly knighthood. They were priests, first of all, with all the vows of the priests. And they did mix and merge when in the Middle East with uh, uh, the Hashashim, they called them, where the word assassin comes from, and hashish, because they used hashish in their ceremonies. And they did merge with this ancient group who uh, trained young orphans. This is the orphan story of Freemasonry. They trained orphans and brought them up into, uh, with, uh, in luxury and told them that this was just uh, like heaven and that death was the same. They were given women whatever they wanted and then sent out into the world to become advisors to other princes. And whenever told, they would just take out a dagger maybe 20 years down the road and, and assassinate whoever they were told to assassinate. And they had the Middle Eastern terror for a long, long time. And, and the Knights Templars were part of that same, uh, same group, really. They brought the same tactics back to Britain with them. They weren't all then just good guys? Uh, not in the least. Uh, they were a secret society, there's no doubt. They like to call themselves societies with secrets, the same as Freemasonry today, but they were priests first and foremost. They disliked women. You'll find that in all of the high esoteric groups is this tremendous disdain of the female, right down to, to the, the Rosicrucian exploded when, it, when that came into to Britain with Francis Bacon and a few others. They had to put their wives behind them and leave them basically to join the higher uh, orders. So, so yeah, the, the hatred of women is part of the tradition and part of the goal of creating the new type of human being to come. Do you think the Knights Templar ever found or hid the Ark of the Covenant? I don't think so in, in, in that respect. Uh, the Ark itself is, is nothing to do with people. People think it is. It's the Ark that the sun makes across the sky. That's what it was. That's what it really was. The people in the Bible are, are all allegories for different things that happen within nature, including the movements of the Zodiac. The 12 tribes are simply the 12 constellations. Moses was the sun going through them. Same with Jacob. The same thing with Jesus, in fact. 
it's the same it's the same story given out for the exoteric uh, rendition for the people and the esoteric for the the higher priesthoods. Now you don't think that those individuals existed? They, they, were, existed. they were all celestial. They were all celestial. It's always the, the eternal heavenly story. It pre-existed traditional Judaism by millennia. In fact, the story of Moses was basically taken from India, uh, recopied again. Moses is only the latter part of, of Ramos's. Moses means child in Egyptian. So he's a child of Ra, basically. The later, of course, with, with Jacob giving, uh, being, giving birth to the 12 tribes is the same thing. It's the 12 constellations, and Jacob becomes Israel, Isis, Rael, the hermaphroditic god, two in one. It's always a hermaphroditic god at the top of the esoteric groups. Interesting perspective. I want to come back to this a little bit later on, maybe next hour, Alan. We'll try to give it a little more in-depth talk. Okay, so that was the Knights Templar. What, what about the uh, Freemasons? Uh, and, and the reason why I bring that up is today's Freemasons, Many of them are hardworking, dedicated men uh, who, um, you know, are are part of raising money for for hospitals for children. I, I are we talking about two different kinds of Freemasonry groups here? And the lower orders, like Albert Pike, who was the Pope of Freemasonry, wrote in his own book Morals and Dogma. The lower Masons are are really the outer portico. They are like a an outer wall. And he, and he said that they're no different than the profane. They think they know what they're involved in, but they don't really. And it, it really depends on who you are when you join and what your potential is in the outside world. If you have the ability to influence public opinion, for instance, as a newspaper man or something, or even the owner of a small newspaper, you're tapped out of your lodge and brought, into a, brought to a side lodge, and then you shoot up the ladder and then you're taught the real agenda at, at the 40th degree. That's life begins at 40. That's what that means. I didn't. Well, so if I wanted to be a Freemason, and I'm not, they'd kind of push me up the ladder a little quicker just by the fact that I broadcast to so many people. Yes, I've had offers to get taken right up, actually, without the necessity of even, they said that without the necessity of even taking all the different silly oaths, etc., because of, of uh, what I know. Well, they've never approached me yet, Alan. Uh, maybe I'm not doing something right. I'm not sure. <laughs> it, it could be two ways. You might be doing something right and don't know it. Yeah, it, it, that's what I think I may be doing. Well, tell me, though, about this organization. What's its intent? What's, what does it want to do? Uh, Freemasonry made it quite plain in the writings of Albert Pike uh, that through revolution, and, and again, it's all solar, to use the solar terminology, of the, the earth revolving around the sun, revolution. Through revolution, uh, they will perfect man, bring him to a stage of perfection in a new system, a scientifically organized system where the natural aristocracy, as uh, Jefferson called them, I mean, he was a member of the Illuminati, will run the world, basically, in an orderly fashion. That also means deciding on many people that we will need, etc., to, to work for them, and there will be no excess population. The supposed haphazard way today of marrying your own, taking your own partner and marrying her will be gone. It will be a new eugenically type uh, run society. Uh, that's what it's all about. 
Well, they're planning that. I mean, like you had mentioned earlier, that uh, the, they, they, they want us implanted with chips. They want to be able to control us. They want to be able to follow us. And they're doing it now. And, yes. some, and in some cases, some people think it's, uh, it's good to do this. And so they're rushing mm -hmm. to, to become part of this. Yeah, in 1998, on the CBC television in Canada, uh, on Wendy Mesler show, she, she actually talked about this ID card that was coming. This is before 9-11. Mm -hmm. And she talked to some of the high-ranking people in, in the various banking institutions and the manufacturer of this particular card. Now, the card that the U.S. citizen is to get is the same as the one of the Canadians are uh, to get, and it's the same one that the British have, and the British have now introduced it. It's an active chip with your DNA in it, iris scan, a voice print is in there too, all your medical record, records are there, your up-to-date inoculations, and it's trackable by the same towers that are up around all the cities for cell phones. That's the rush for, for this wireless internet and so on. They've already got the, the, the towers and these little uh, booster towers all through the cities. Is this being used as a driver's license as well, or just an ID card? It's to be used for your driving license as well. And also in Britain, they said it will become your sole bank card. Everything will be on that in the cashless society. You know, on the face of it, some of this sounds good. And let me let me bring that up. Uh, I've lived in Michigan, Missouri, Min Minnesota, California, and. You know, in, in state to state, you know, depending on where your residency is, you get a driver's license based on your residency. Some states, you have to redo the test. You have to take another driver's test. Other states, they have reciprocity where you merely come in, bring your license, and it's done, and you change it. On the face of it, Alan, what's wrong with, if you, if you like to drive a car, what's wrong, and you move around, what's wrong with having a national driver's license? What it is, it's not just a national license, that's just it. It's, it's your whole ID, it's everything, it's you, including your DNA code. And that will be shared with all the, the, the governmental institutions, with police, bureaucracies, etc. And, and the, the ultimate goal is to bring us into a cashless society, because they mm -hmm. want to track everything you earn and spend. And uh, eventually the system we have to go into is going to do away with, with uh, the system of money and way of living and how we earn it, in fact. The state ultimately is to get, be the sole arbiter of how much you earn. It will dole out so many credits per week. Lord Bertrand Russell wrote about this on the impact of science on society. He said it will be used as a form of social control, and those who are against the system or disobey orders they'll find that their, their credits will not be in their bank account on the Monday morning. That will be your punishment. You won't be able to buy food. Gee. You won't be able to rent. And, and you can't save up these credits. By the end of the week, they're all gone again, and you start off with the same number on Monday. Well, you know what? They, they are sort of dictating income to people now merely by the fact that so many people are being laid off uh, or displaced. Uh, you know, if you're 50 years old, and you're forced to retire or you're displaced, you're going to have a heck of a time finding a job. 
Alan, let's talk a little bit about these chemtrails and what you were saying earlier that uh, Prozac and other drugs might be uh, sprayed on us. Uh, one, there's no question something's going on with chemtrails. I have not heard specifically of the drugs. I've heard a lot about weather manipulation. So tell me a little bit about this uh, in, in some of the evidence that backs this up. Well, we, we find the, um, the father of the H-bomb was the first man to come forward with the idea of uh, heavily spraying the atmosphere with uh, barium, titanium, and aluminum oxide to make it more uh, conductive to electromagnetic pulse, which they could use from which you know it's called harp facilities, which and there's over 56 of them worldwide. Through this, they knew they could control the emotions of people. It's the most easy, easiest thing to manipulate, in fact, or is the emotion. There was a test done by the U.S. government on Maine, a covert test for over a period of years, and they studied all the reports coming in of domestic quarrels, uh, domestic animals which became aggressive, suicides, etc., which went sky high at one point. So they've tested this stuff over different areas over the many years. However, uh, in the first reports from, I think it was Hellier, of the H-bomb, he said uh, it could also be coupled with, uh, with uh, polymers. Polymers are agents which, uh, these are the agents which create the rainbow effects in the sky when they're spraying heavily. And the polymers were designed to carry bacterium uh, or viruses down to the ground for warfare purposes. Well, we are seeing the polymer being used and uh, if you look at the heavy spraying on a sunny day, uh, the sky ends up being very mushy, and the blue tends to be a type of blue you'd see through a, a thin polythene sheet. And that's hmm. the polymers you're seeing. When the snow is going, and I've photographed it up here, um, as well as taking samples and having them analyzed, you'll find that after four or five months of snow, when you get down to the last four inches, you see this this uh, um, cotton candy type material, and that's the polymer in a frozen form. It's about three or four inches thick when the snow first leaves, and then when the sun hits it, it breaks down into powder and stays on the ground for quite a while. So this stuff is being used, and uh, I haven't had the ability to test for bacterium or viruses, but I have had it tested for the metals, and, and sure enough, it came up high with aluminum oxide and copper, titanium, and a few other trace metals. Are they trying to dumb us down, Alan, control us? What do they want to do with us? It's control. There's no doubt it's control. I have no doubt, too. Uh, I know that aluminum oxide, that's what you find in the brains of people with Alzheimer's. And that came out in a British medical study first in 1973. So they've always known that the aluminum oxide is very good if you want to have people lose their memory. And of course, the, coupled with the pulsations of harp, which can be picked up on the shortwave radio, they've been going strong for the last four years now, nonstop, on certain frequencies. They can actually affect the moods of people. They claim they can also send over a secondary impulse which will ride the back of the first, and if they want to, they could actually put thoughts in a person's head. Well, you know, there's uh, there's no doubt that uh, this entire package is uh, is aimed at getting all of us. Who concocted all this? 
um, the scientists again, we can go back to H.G. Wells, who was a frontman for the British government. He belonged to the Secret Service. He was a propagandist for World War One. Old H.G. Wells was? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, yep. And he was one of the founders of the Fabian Society. Um, the Fabian Society pretended they were a left-wing organization. But in fact, uh, if you read the writings of a co-founder, Bertrand Russell, Lord Bertrand Russell, in the book by Ronald Clark, Russell tells you that the, the Webbs, Sidney and Beatrice Webb, who were the main people behind the, the Fabian Society, uh, wanted a world system or, or government run by a super elite of technocrats and that the public would have no say whatsoever in the way their lives would be run. So, so H.G. Wells was a big player. He himself was given predictive programming. This, this was the idea from Tavistock Institute in London, which still runs the world today with mind control. They gave him certain stories to write to incorporate certain elements or that they wanted to get through to people's heads. And uh, he simply wrote the stories around those things. That's why he could uh, write about the police of the air in, in shape of things to come that would gas the people below and force them to submit to world government. And this third world war was to begin in Basra, where the third world war had actually begun. Now, Basra is in Iraq. Yes. And uh, that's where the British troops went, and they still, they still managed yet. So this is, this is predictive programming par excellence. And uh, he knew the agenda prior to World War II. Alan, what do you think the agenda is with this avian flu scare, which I do not believe will be a pandemic unless somehow man screws it up and it gets out into the system. And already the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has announced that it's going to test the possibility of mutations and even create them. Mm -hmm. To me, that's pretty darn dangerous. Yeah, well, again, the H.G. Wells, Lord Bertrand Russell, uh, Aldo Huxley, and all these predictive programmers that were, were given their agendas have all stated the same thing, that the biggest problem the elite faced, this put more succinctly in the, the writings of Charles Galton Darwin, the physicist and grandson of Charles Darwin, in his book, The Next uh, Million Years, he said that we are attempting mis, uh, misguidedly to help the people maintain their health and it's increasing the population so we will have to bring out specific diseases to help cull them off eventually in a way which the public would never suspect. In other words, it would be done through laboratories. And we are living in an age where there are tremendous, tremendous laboratories dedicated to creating killer diseases. Uh, Henry Kissinger put the, the bill in in the 70s where he stated that the greatest threat to the nation was overpopulation. And, and, and a vast sum of money was put forward to find something which would destroy the immune system and a few years later out comes AIDS. So they, they write about it, they do it, uh, we see it manifesting, but because we're nice people and we wouldn't do that, we, we say, well, well, they couldn't really have meant it, even though the evidence is there that they did. Somebody sent me an instant message, Alan, that simply said, What's wrong with population control if it will make the planet better? How yeah. do you argue with that? Well, here's the key to it. Uh, Thomas Malthus in the 1700s was um, 
an economist for the British East India Company. And he started the ball rolling with the, the scientifically controlled society and population control. He actually advocated methods of bringing the population down by putting housing schemes and streets for the poor over swamps, etc., where they, they would uh, sicken and die. Mosquitoes would get him and malaria and everything. Yeah, else. all of that kind of stuff. A poor diet. He advocated yeah. giving a poor diet. However, he, he gave out false statistics even then on the population of Britain because the first census wasn't taken till the year after his book came out. So he, he fudged the statistics to suit his theory. And they've done the same thing ever since. Now, in Britain, from the First World War onwards, there was a, a, a hue and cry from the elite about bringing the population down further. H.G. Wells said in his own book, he said, the First War hasn't killed enough of them. The great H.G. Wells. God. And, and, and so they, they had a big uh, movement to convince the public there were too many. They, they said they wanted an ideal family of two parents and, and 1.2 child, child per family. Now, the British complied with that. And Margaret Thatcher, when she was in power in the 1980s, opened the door to India. And, and she said, the reason I have to bring them all in from India is that there's not enough people uh, having offspring in Britain to pay off the national debt. So what I'm saying is, when you follow their instructions, you won't win anyway. No, not, not at all. You see, so this is a con game. They want a world, a post-industrial, post-technological world of, of pristine beauty for themselves and the elite to, to, to roam around in. They don't need all the workers anymore, and they're hyping up this overpopulation thing way out of proportion. The only reason that North America seems to be uh, getting trouble is because all immigrants go to the major cities. And the doors have been open for years, actually, from uh, many countries, including ones from China. And they're flooding into the major uh, city centers, giving the appearance of overpopulation. Would you look uh, 10 years into your crystal ball and tell us around the year 2015, 2016, mm -hmm. what this planet will look like? Well, I know what they want it to look like. Um, the Rhodes Foundation has put out books on this. That was the foundation set up by Cecil Rhodes for world government based on the British system of democracy, uh, but really to run by the super elite. He already said the same thing, three trading blocks with, with uh, provincial governments subservient to a super government of the world and uh, a vastly reduced population. They want community living areas for, for the public. They're calling them habitat areas at the United Nations. And the populations must be kept within strictly controlled limits within those habitat areas. China has been called the model state for the world because they already implement that system. And they mandatorily have abortions if, for any woman that has a, a second child. And that's the model state for the world by our wonderful United Nations. Remember the movie Soylent Green? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where they euthanized people when they got to a certain point. Yeah. Uh, but they made them die peacefully. Mm -hmm. uh, but they needed them for food. Yeah. Do you see the, the day where they will just basically euthanize people based on age? They'll say, when you become yeah. 60... Mm -hmm. 
you're going to have to go. There's that's that's the law, and they come get you. I guess that's the first step towards it. The, the, uh, that's why they bring out every so often some poor soul who's dying, who advocates the government should should give him a doctor to kill him, and that power must never be given to the to, to government, never, because they will they want it, they want that power, and they will abuse it. The United Nations has defined a good citizen of the world as someone who is a good consumer dash uh, producer. When you retire, you're consuming, you're not producing. And so you become a useless eater. And will this happen? Will, call them. Will, will it happen like that movie? And Well, I'm not so sure about the eating of human wafers, but mm -hmm. what, what will happen? I think they, they, they're, they're on the way to programming us to die at a certain age already with inoculations. I have no doubt on that at all. We know that uh, I have on tape too, a videotape of Dr. Salk, who is the great hero with polio vaccine. Sure. And on the tape, he said, yes, we and the team knew, he said, that we had over a um, hundred live monkey or simian viruses in every shot of polio. He said, we knew that the simian 40 virus would cause cancers and early deaths. But then he rationalized it by saying we thought the risk was worth it. So these guys have been setting us up for, for a much earlier fall under the guise of helping us. And we should remember that the United Nations has a department, uh, the World Health Organization, Doctor Who, I call it, and uh, next door to it, in the same building, they have the Department of Population Control. And when the wolf is there with a syringe to help you, I think we better be on our guard. How many people do you think are in these groups? There are a few hundred top groups that, that work on all this in specialized areas. We know that, for instance, the Bilderbergers, what they deal with primarily is the, 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 the trilateral world, the three-block world, that's their main function. The Club of Rome was set up primarily to do with the population reduction by all means possible, as Kissinger said himself, by all means possible. Other ones are, are dealing with the, the futurist think tanks. They have a few hundred futurist think tanks who come up with predictive programming, which they then give to certain authors. They've done this since the 1800s. The authors write the books. It puts the idea in our heads that, well, I guess this is inevitable. And when the real thing happens, we just go along with it because it's been programmed into us primarily through fiction. Fiction has been the main way of creating predictive programming. They familiarize you with an idea. The sensor part of your brain is down. And in a story with an emotional tack to it, you're actually programmed for something to come which you then think is inevitable when it actually happens. Tell me about the three books you've got out there. The three books are to do with the ancient societies, the, the mystic societies that have been behind a lot of this for the last few, few thousands of years, never altering their agenda. It's not far-fetched at all their agenda into their final completion as to where they want to go with humanity. I also go through the money system from ancient times to the present, and how the ancient money lenders came from country to country, set up the system of debt, forced the countries to hire standing armies, which they then used to conquer the next country, 
and, and go on from there. And how so this whole thing of civilization is money coupled with commerce and priesthoods from the very beginning, and it's a it's a science in itself with a definite agenda towards a common goal. Does it bother you? Are you afraid of anything? No, not at all, because I've I've realized this pretty well all of my life. I lived through the European Union. I traveled all over Europe. I was uh, up in the music business quite high. I, I kept seeing uh, the prime ministers saying in newspapers we were over in Europe cementing ties, creating closer ties. And I thought, well, how close can we get without being united? And I was right. Uh, it was all done in covert secrecy. They set up the unification panels in secret in 1948. In 1999, they declassified that. And sure enough, in there it said that um, this agenda must be fulfilled and completed before the public are told the truth. Interesting. That's now declassified information. Ron of uh, Oklahoma wants to know more about Skull and Bones. If you believe that organization is also part of the Illuminati, this group. Yeah, the Skull and Bones is. Long before Weishaupt was heard of, the pirate flag of Britain was the Skull and Bones. It's uh, the symbol of Freemasonry. And if you watch the opera uh, Gilbert uh, and Sullivan, the Pirates of Penzance, you'll see the raising of a mason in the first scene where they have the apprentice with his pant leg rolled up, his breast exposed, etc., being put, laid on the pirate flag, meaning symbolizing death, and then been raised up by the captain so they go through it even on a stage play. It's definitely part of the same Illuminati program. Skull is, 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 is if you speak it, is seek you all and be one. At what point in your life did you see this? I, I was sort of born this way. <laughs> I, I grew up uh, <laughs> wondering why Britain was such a mess uh, as the supposed um, inheritor of this uh, British Empire uh, and supposedly winning World War II along with his allies. And yet, uh, growing up, in that period, I didn't see anyone with any money except that those in uh, some families in London, you know, the rich families, and that's who had inherited the, the wealth of the British Empire for centuries. I realized there was something much more behind all, all of this, and of course, once I delved into the inner religions of some of the, the higher elite, which I and I met some of them in the music industry, I realized they had a completely different uh, religion than the masses. And they fervently believed in it. They truly believed they're descended from a different lineage, that their spirit is different from, from those around them. And this goes back to the writings of Plato, even, who discussed the, the reincarnation of the same elite spirits down through the ages, beginning with a start on Earth where the fallen angels, or cast angels as they called them, the rebels, their ancestors were cast. And they created the first physical bodies for themselves by purely willing them into existence and the first generations retained special supernatural powers they claimed but they began to lose them with interbreeding with the people who were already here and hence the need to go back to the intense interbreeding to try and, and retain these powers or get back these powers and that is the that was always the ancient religion of the elite in the pharaonic times and in Plato's day, and it is 
up until the present. Do you think people are starting to wake up now, Alan? Uh, they are, mainly, though, because they, they're afraid. And the fear alone is motivating them to ask questions. But because of an incredible conditioning in society uh, and all the misinformation out there and, uh, and the fantasy that we live in, I mean, people in the West have been conditioned to watch television so much that fantasy is completely interwoven with reality. And they have a hard time distinguishing the two. They're also desensitized to the killing uh, that the West has done uh, and is still doing in the Middle East, uh, beginning with the Vietnam era, where people were eating their dinner, watching the people in, in uh, Vietnam being blown up, you know. That desensitization is too unreal to us. We, can, we hardly tell the difference now between a movie and reality, and we're desensitized so much that when it happens here, and it will happen here when the time is right, we're watching the build-up of a massive internal army, the multi-jurisdictional task force. That's all the boys in uniform being set up to take care of some kind of chaos back home. And one day we will see it happen. And out of the chaos, because, because that's the order of chaos of the high rights of masonry, the order of perfection, the Scottish right, uh, they create the chaos and they bring their new order out from it. And the people they hope would be so on their knees with terror and fear that uh, this new system that will be introduced, they'll take it up gladly, anything to stop yep. it. You had mentioned earlier that science and this new world order seem to be woven together. What do you mean by that? From the most ancient times, we find this, that the, the, the mysteries that, that many of the Egyptians had control over, the priesthoods, were very high uh, understandings of what they called nature or science, the workings of nature. And they could uh, use these sciences to control the people even in ancient times. There's no doubt about it, there's highly technological societies before this one. Much of it is supposedly being rediscovered. That's why we have research, you know. It's research. The searching was done before. There are three levels of reality. The, the one that Joe Blow lives in, that watches the 6 o'clock news and reads the magazines in the stores, that's the bottom level of the matrix. If you get up into the higher level, into CIA, above professorship level, you're into a new realm of science. It's much more advanced Nick Bagage showed us a technology used in the 1950s by the CIA. He demonstrated on the television on the Wendy Mesler show, CBC. And these little handheld remote devices could put thoughts into your head, into the middle of your head, uh, from any distance line of sight. And this was all antique uh, technology which the CIA possessed in the 1950s. Oh, yeah, and it's even better now. So that's the middle level, and above that, the controllers themselves have the ultimate weaponry, and, uh, and they don't even give that to their helpers, the CIA. Lord Rothschild of Britain is never on the Forbes riches list, yet his family is worth billions. Uh, when they took over the Bank of England, uh, they had it written into the charter uh, with the royalty that they would never have to disclose their, their profits. So they're not audited at all. My there are 13 major banking families which comprise the World Bank. If you look at what we did in uh, Yugoslavia, then Afghanistan, 
in Iraq, uh, the first thing in was the World Bank, the centralized bank, then the World Bank. And then the UN moved in UNESCO to teach the children, the first generation of children. They always bypass the older people and go right for the children to bring them up in this new system. But the World Bank has been set up in each one of those conquered countries. They only have Iran and Syria to go next. The chaos you foresee, what will it be? I'm sure they'll use all of it. The standard, I call them the standard techniques of famine, and that will happen very easily in a plague, because they've already said on television that no food will, will come into the cities because there'll be no transportation allowed back and forth. So you'll have famine, plague, earthquakes are caused, of course, by harvest written into the United Nations Charter in the 1970s, I think 77, they said the harp technology must not be used between governments in warfare times because it can cause floods, hurricanes, and earthquakes. So earthquakes can be caused as well, and of course war. So we'll have all of the usual revelation stuff because revelations is a revealing it's not a prophecy, it's a revealing of a plan. Scientists, primarily microbiologists, who have been dying around the planet over the last several years, I think they're up to like 80 now, very unusual. Are you aware of that one? Yes, and it makes sense because the scientists who are into that particular field know how their own theories of viruses simply evolving. They, they know that there are certain patterns and stages they must go through. So when they see something jumping a few stages and obviously heading towards man, then man himself has interfered to make it so. Uh, there's a good book put out about warfare with bacteria and viruses. It's called Deadly Allies, and it was published in Canada and written by a, a Toronto Star reporter. It's all declassified information from the Canadian government. And Canada led the field in viral and bacterial warfare during World War II and afterwards. And he goes into these, these, these techniques of modifying viruses. It's very easy. And in the Daily Mail in England had a two-page spread back in the, the early 90s of a reporter going into the Port and Downs Warfare Laboratory in Britain and having a morning breakfast with the scientists there whose job it is to make these killer diseases. And he said they, they casually sat around having breakfast and talked about ethnic-specific diseases which they have, diseases which they can release in a country, and they, they can program the viruses to reproduce so many thousands of times and then die off. That's how well-programmed they can be. So how do we fight back, Alan? What do we do about this? A lot do, of telling people, not? I've been telling people to rapidly inform themselves with the, the ammunition, which is the, the data from those who put the books out on the agenda, like Jacques Cousteau, who gave the interview and said that uh, about 70% of the public would have to be killed off, these great heroes they give us. And once you have the information, then you tell all your politicians and you bombard them and say, look, we know what's coming, we know what's going on, we know what you're up to, and it's not going to happen. Can we win this battle? If we, we definitely tell them we're educated now, we know what's going on, you've got to stop it because if we don't stop it, they're going to do it. And once a plague is set upon the public, it will be chaos, panic, and people will simply do whatever they're told. All right, let's assume the European Union does it on their own. Mm -hmm. Can we 
as a United States, as a country, can we battle all that by ourselves? Uh, I don't think so. I think they want this worldwide. They've said themselves that this, this particular plague, which they just know is coming. It's the first time in history that you can actually tell you it's just coming. It still has six jumps to go to get to man from animal, but they can tell it's just going to take the, this. Out of thousands of directions it could go, they just know it's coming our way. It's going to take five years of, of pandemics springing up and dying down worldwide before it will eventually die off. Well, that's five years of chaos, repetitive chaos, and a lot of the public will be killed off during that whole thing. We have to prevent it before it starts. And that's, and that's why we've got to tell them all, hey, we know what's going on. They want to go from six-plus billion to 500,000 to 500 right. million. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I yeah. guess they believe they can run the world on that amount of people. They certainly do. They have the technology now all based in China. China was set up to do exactly what it's doing by by the money and technology from the West. They didn't steal anything. They were given everything. And as I say, the Council on Foreign Relations and, and the Royal Institute of International Affairs wrote about setting China up to do this job back in the 1930s. That's how far ahead they plan everything. Now, if they're going to allow for the destabilization of countries in the Middle East, with Iran and Syria being left. Mm -hmm. Why don't they just go to them and say, folks, you got to play ball with us here? Mm -hmm. Well, they want, again, a chaos mentality to come through here. They want to bring all those countries again to their knees as well uh, through, through massive killing that's going on. And there is massive killing going on all the time there. You see, what they said many, many years ago was... And, and uh, this was written about by Albert Pike, the Pope of Freemasonry, who wrote Morals and Dogma. He belonged to the Rite of Perfection, or the Scottish Rite, which was not Scottish at all, but that's another story. And he said there would be three world wars, two with Germany, and this was a letter in the British Museum that he wrote right. to Lord Rothschild, and he said the third one will be between Zionism and Islam to be fought in the Middle East. And he said it will involve the whole world and and cause such chaos that the people will be so sick of religion at the end they will uh, allow an age of reason to come in where a scientific elite would would run the world is this also then a plot to do away with religions and, and beliefs yes uh, yeah interesting absolutely and 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 huh. uh, uh, Pike was very adamant on that, that uh, they, would, they would keep playing it up as the war dragged on, that religion was behind it. Um, and people would be so disgusted with it all that we'd put ourselves under the new high priests of science. The creators of these events, uh -huh. were they geniuses? Yeah, you could say they were definitely geniuses, if you understand the term genius. A genius came from genii. And, of course, the elite of Greece, who all studied in Egypt, such as Pythagoras and Plato himself, is the key to the mysteries, actually. They claimed that everyone was born with a soul, but uh, you had to seek for your spirit to unite with your soul in the physical body. That was the trinity. And when that happened, the genii collected with the soul, and you, you were complete. You were a genius. You had knowledge beyond the norm. 
Yeah. This is uh, Julia. I'm calling from Grants Pass in Oregon. Alan, you were talking about the secret societies and the Illuminati as being mostly um, certain families with certain bloodlines. Uh, My question is, maybe you could use Kissinger as an example. How did someone like that go from being, you know, an obscure Harvard professor to um, being recruited or selected? Do you have to demonstrate your corruptness? Um, You know, how is someone like that selected and maybe groomed? It's very similar to the Rhodes Scholarships. Uh, you, in Rhodes Scholarships, again, it was set up by Cecil Rhodes and Lord, Lord Rothschilds and Lord Milner to set up world government with the three trading, three trading blocks. For Rhodes Scholarships, um, they were to train scholars from all over the world and send them back into governmental positions across the world. Mm-hmm. And one of the prime prerequisites for being a Rhodes Scholar wasn't simply intellect. It was the ability to be ruthless when required. <coughs> and also to show an intense need to dominate society uh, under the pretense of helping it. In other words, you had to be an elitist by nature. Did they train them to do that, Alan? Yeah, they were trained to do it. In fact, Arnold Toynbee, Professor Arnold, Arnold Toynbee, taught many of them in the 1920s and 30s, and they used uh, Jesuitical techniques as well and Illuminati techniques. So they gave them much more privileges as students than, than ordinary people. They would have access to drugs, uh, alcohol, females for sexual dalliances without any repercussions. Mm-hmm. And they became, that, that helped to, to build the arrogance factor within them. So they would look down on people. They had psychopathic traits, and there's no doubt about it. And at the last count, there were 200 Rhodes uh, scholars working in the federal uh, bureaucracies in Washington. We understand the inner religion of the secret societies and how they view the high ones, of course, and how they view everyone else. Uh, they, they truly believe that we are just walking physical beings as compared to themselves who have spirit in them. We're just machines, basically, to an extent. We are the dead, as they call us. That's the same name that she was in the, in the New Testament, uh, let the dead bury their dead, those who cannot under, understand. They do believe that we are there to serve them, and always have been, and that literally the time is coming shortly where they have no further need of most of us. And I assume when they reduce the population of the world down to 500 million, they'll be part of the 500 million. Well, that's what all the higher boys believe, uh, hope to believe. That Plato laid it out with his guardians of the world, the upper dominant minority, he called them. Uh, that's the same term that Aldo Huxley called them in his lectures. Some of the higher orders, they will bring them in to the, to the, the lesser guardian class. So all the higher masons hope that they'll be one of the chosen, you might say. All right, let's go to our first-time caller line. Hello, Alan. I uh, listened to your video today online, and um, I did want to ask you about the um, text screens at the end of your video and the reptilian references. And I wonder if um, that you you actually do believe that there is an alien influence at work here. I I um I, I tend to joke about the reptilians because. Oh. Uh, 
it's it's a good it's a good it's good entertainment. Well, you know, sometimes I have the feeling that I truly am gazing upon the countenance of demons when I see people like Rumsfeld mm -hmm. and Cheney. Yeah, uh, it, it, you know that that's, that that's closer to the truth actually, <laughs> uh, because uh, in reality these guys, in the higher degrees, and I've had them explained to me by very high masons, um, in the higher degrees. They claim to take on a higher entity with every degree. Well, and so when you're looking at a Kissinger type, uh, you are looking at a high entity that's basically taken whatever is left hey, of the person. By the way, here's something. I got a phone call several weeks ago during one of my open lines, Alan. How old is Kissinger? Because I remember him during the Vietnam War mm -hmm. in the 70s. Yeah. Here we are 36 years later. Mm -hmm. The guy has an age today. You're right, and that's, that, was, that was given out initially by the Rosicrucians in the 1500s with Francis Bacon, John Dee, and all involved because they made it known that those who would help them towards the great work, as they call it, uh, would be given life extension, and that is a fact. They are given life extension. I've seen some of the high masons myself who've been up there and to the higher degrees I've seen a guy in his 70s run in, a, in the summer 200 yards with a big long ladder and he wasn't even out of breath. In fact, his mouth wasn't even open to breathe through his mouth. They are given a life extension, a much higher medical treatment than, than Joe Average. There are three realities, three levels of reality. We are at the bottom level from professorship down and these guys are given superior treatments, absolutely. And it's the same with Maurice Strong, who works uh, tirelessly for the United Nations. He's in his 70s. He puts in 14 hours per day, travels all over the world, and uh, doesn't come down sick. And, and that's standard with the high Freemasons. They're all the same. Benjamin Franklin was one, too, and he was the same, yeah. Okay, Alan, I know how old Kissinger is. I'll let you guess first. What do you think? Well, I saw him in a jeep when he was driving Ike about in World War II. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm not sure. He must be in his 80s, maybe. Yeah, 83 years old. Uh -huh. He doesn't look it. They tried to interview him coming out of a car about a year ago as he was attending the Hollinger Newspaper Corporation. He's a shareholder there, along with Barbara Walters. And when they went up with the camera to him, I kid you not that the guy pirouetted around pulled his coat over his face and he ran up the stairs like really? a teenager yeah he, he didn't want anybody to see him huh yeah and he ran up those stairs like a teenager george excellent program almost was gonna say i wish you'd hold him over for another hour there's so many questions to ask him it's unreal what about your safety and um do you ever worry about that yes safety uh <laughs> when you realize what's coming ahead i think it's a bit uh, uh crazy to worry about safety this is the time to speak out because it's the only time we have is now. And yeah, I've been threatened before and I've had security agencies come up my way at night without lights when I've been walking the dog and sitting 20 feet from me just to annoy me, you know. I had my previous house almost burned down after I started the radio broadcast on Sweet Liberty. They still continue every Wednesday in sweetliberty.org. So it doesn't matter to me if I die, I die. I know there's right. something beyond this. I think it's, it's more important that you do what you're, you're supposed to do when you're here. You don't sit back and allow it to happen when you know what's coming. Everyone must do their bit because everyone's going to get flattened otherwise. 
if we all sit, sit back and hope nothing happens to us. I definitely applaud you for all your great work. Thanks for being on the show. I detect a little, uh, is it an Irish accent? That's Scottish. Scottish. I was close. Well, Alan, uh, let's talk again about the website. What can people find on that when they peruse it? They'll find uh, many talks to download from other shows. They'll find the links to sweetliberty.org, First Amendment Radio, where they can go into the archives. I've done many, many hours explaining the occult, deprogramming uh, techniques, etc. I go through all the forms of mind control down through history and how it works on us today. All right, very good. Alan, thanks so much for being on the program. It's been a pleasure.